Gale's open, they're away in the Golden Slipper, there's a great start, and Mick Mitt Basque on the extreme outside is about the first out, Jeff Boyle. Jagler on the outside, lunging, but Catlin opening just in front, Jagler trying desperately, can't reach him. Catlin opening has lasted to win the Doncaster by a hit to Jagler. This Iron podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. The $1.3 million Kosciuszko is the world's richest race for country-trained horses and the field is determined by those who draw winning tickets in the Kosciuszko sweepstakes. $5 tickets are now available through the Tab app or your local TAB outlet. 14 winning ticket holders will be drawn on September the 9th. Holders of those winning tickets will have the opportunity to select the horse they'd like to run in their entry and if successful will then negotiate the terms of a prize money split with the owners of that horse. A $5 ticket could make it possible for you or your syndicate of friends to share in the ownership of a runner in a race which in just three runnings has achieved a high profile. Grafton trained Bell Flyer gave his slot holders a big thrill when he won the first Kosciuszko in 2018. In 2019 it was Handle the Truth and last year It's Me from Scone. It's an exciting opportunity for bush horses to take centre stage on one of the biggest race days in the world. It gives punters and racing fans the opportunity to share in the ownership of a horse running in a $1.3 million race. Remember, the 14 winning slot holders will be drawn on September the 9th. John Sargent's love of animals was very evident as he grew up in the 1960s on the family farm at Opiki on the lower North Island of New Zealand. His love of thoroughbreds evolved as a result of his father's involvement as an owner. He'd attend race meetings with his dad, John Senior, and listen intently whenever racing was being discussed around the dinner table. By the time young John left school, he had no doubt a future in racing would be his priority. A couple of years later, he took himself off to England, where he landed a job at the Newmarket training operation of Harry Rag the former three-time derby-winning jockey who'd gone on to become a successful trainer. After a valuable five-year learning curve in England, John returned to Australia and went to work for another legend in Angus Armanasco in Melbourne. Then it was home to New Zealand, where he gained a diploma in agriculture. His love of rugby had never left him, and before long he was playing in a strong provincial competition in New Zealand playing well enough, in fact, to be offered a club contract in South Africa. He accepted the offer and spent the next five years playing the game in Natal province. John Sargent didn't become an all-black, but he did become a damn good horse trainer. And for the last seven years, he's been based at Randwick, where he trains a team of 34 horses. We find him at the stables on a Sunday morning, as we welcome him to the podcast. John, it's great to catch up. Good morning, John. Well, I see we slip one to Gulban on Saturday. Uh, a horse called All Things led all the way and got the money on a heavy track. I thought they were going to round him up in the straight, but he was pretty tenacious. 
Yeah, no, he's uh, – I thought it'd go well fresh, Johnny. He's, uh, he's a good fresh horse. He's uh, been with me a long time now, and he's probably just maturing. Um, and those uh, great colours he won, the Duncan Ramage manages him, and uh, mm. he's given us quite a few horses to train. It was great to get a result from yesterday. They were the colours that were originally registered by the late Dato Tan Chin Nam. That's dead right, and um, I've still got some uh, others uh, racing at the stables in those colours, so uh, mm. no, they've been great for me, and uh, onwards and upwards for that horse one yesterday, I think. He's by So You Think, isn't he, your bloke? Yes, that's dead right, and they had So You Think, and I've got uh, uh, quite a few So You Thinks in the stables now, because I think they're very good horses, and um, mm. I've got one I think might be a, a derby horse in the spring called Soterial glory uh, mm-hmm. that's aiming for the derby in Flemington so hopefully he'll go well as well You enjoyed one of those special moments recently when Brandenburg won the inaugural running of the coast at Gosford, a half million dollar race Yeah that was uh, that was interesting John, I'd, uh, I wasn't there on the day, I'd uh, planned to go and see him run and, uh, against um, at the Gold Coast meeting. He yes. was then up there. And, uh, of course, he was when the fields came out, he was on the ballot. I'd already gone up for the race with my mm. wife. And, um, of course, uh, he didn't get in. We were lucky enough to get in the field down here. So he ran down here. I watched it up there. And uh, <laughs> Reagan, Regan Bayless rode a great race. And uh, he duly obliged in a million-dollar race. Yeah, he's a very promising young jockey, Regan Bayless. John, he was... Uh, a guest on our podcast recently, and he's in Sydney for the long haul, he tells me. Yeah, he's just hitting his straps now, I think, Johnny. He did the stint in um, Hong Kong. He uh, did a lot of riding for the Hazes in Melbourne, and uh, and uh, now he's um, starting to get his get everything going here. He's yeah. going to all the training centres for some track work, and he'll go a long way, I think. Brandenburg carried that good form to Queensland when he ran third in the Doomben Cup. He ran fourth in the Q22, and you were unfortunate enough in the Cup to run into Zaki. I think Winks would have had a job running him down on the day. Yeah, he looks very promising, doesn't he? Uh, Mm. We'll probably run into him again in the spring. Um, Brandenburg's back after a three-week break at Kilto Park up there, and he's going to go to Melbourne in the spring and probably run into him in the same races. But, you know, anything can happen in racing. And uh, Mm. I think my horse has matured a bit with that trip and uh, his first start over ground. So, no, it'll be all systems go. Mm, There's nothing wrong with the second and third prize money either. No, that's right. There's so many races about um, for these good horses that uh, he'll kick off here in the spring and then filter down probably for two, two or three runs down to Melbourne in the spring. Yeah. Just over a year ago, John, Brandenburg's form was tremendous as a three-year-old. He won the Hobartville. He ran third in the Randwick Guineas. He ran fourth in the George Ryder. He ran third in the Doncaster. You would have needed chloroform to get Glenn Boss off him at that time. Yeah, no, he was going very good. Um, but he just was getting a little bit culty towards the end of that campaign and mm. it was a big decision for the owners. But they're... Uh, uh, Darren Thomas of Seymour Bloodstock and uh, the other owners in the horse. They're horse enthusiasts more than uh, uh, selling the horse or, or having them for stud. They mm. turned down some big offers to Hong Kong because they love their racing. And um, mm. it's a shame they haven't been able to see them race with this COVID problem. But hopefully, 
that's why I want to get him down to Melbourne in the spring. So they're all from down there in Adelaide and they can see him race. Yeah. John, if these new uh, Hong Kong buyers continue to offer this crazy money uh, for Australian three-year-olds, we won't have a decent three-year-old left in the place. No, I know. Uh, look, I sold a horse called Omaris probably three or four years ago that ran fourth in the Derby here, and he was, um, I think, $2.7 million, and he was not a top-line horse. So you can imagine what these horses, are get, these owners are getting to sell them, and uh, that's what happens, I suppose. Uh, and especially I'm used to that after being from originally from New Zealand, mm. where we have to sell all our good horses to Australia because the money's so good. Yeah. Well, when you got back to New Zealand after that rugby involvement in South Africa, you bit the bullet, you found yourself a couple of horses, and you started your training career at Woodville at exactly the same time that Murray Baker was kicking off. Yeah, it was um, it was interesting. Murray just started there. I started there. There was another very good trainer, and Jeff Flynn's was there. Um, Johnny Wheeler was just up the road, who everyone knows. Um, and we sort of started there and just moved ahead. And what happens in New Zealand, most of the studs are up in the Waikato. Mm -hmm. So you've, we started down in Woodville and you gravitate up to where all the horses are, which is up around Matamata and uh, Cambridge. And that's where I eventually moved and so did Murray. And uh, everyone knows Murray Baker for the feats he's done in Australia with his horses. Your all-important first win was provided by a horse called the Spoofer at Foxton on the 3rd of February 1988. Now, he was part-owned by a high-profile New Zealand test cricketer, Ian Smith, uh, best known as a keeper and a lower-order batsman. You tried to get the name Court Smith Bold Hadley for that horse, uh, but the authorities refused your request yes that's what we wanted and uh we put it in but we couldn't uh, because uh, uh ian smith and richard hadley had the world record of um bowler catches to the wicket keeper in the world so um we put that name in but it had too many letters mm. so hence we couldn't get it and the horse was called the spoofer but uh, it was a great day because it was ridden by a very good friend of mine, a world-class jockey in Noel Harris. Mm. He rode my first winner and he rode my first group one winner too. So, um, and, uh, Noel, he's now the apprentice master in New Zealand, the apprentices, and uh, we had a lot of results together. Yes, and Noel rode for a long time, didn't he? I think he rode into his 50s. Yeah, you did, right. He was... Um, and you, knowing Noel then, I don't think he did any training. He didn't write any track work. But if you saw him stripped down, he was like a little, little sumo wrestler. He was just mm. lean and mean. He was naturally fit. Yeah. And he'd just get on a horse and he'd go with it. And uh, I think he got beaten in the nose as an 18-year-old in Glengowan in the uh, yes. Melbourne Cup, didn't he? Yes, and another good horse he rode in Australia on several different campaigns was Castletown. That's right. Many a cup he won on that, and uh, about mm. the same time that he rode Poetic Prince as well. And uh, yeah. no, he had some great results. He was a great jockey. You had cause to spend some time on a property at a little place called Waverley in the Taranaki district, which adjoined a farm owned by a veteran horse trainer called Snowy Lupton. And you used to watch him rounding up cattle 
on a chestnut gelding who was destined for great prominence. Kiwi was his name. He ran in three Melbourne Cups and I think he's the only horse in history to win both Wellington Cup and Melbourne Cup. John, what are your memories? I I saw television footage of... He he was a pretty good horseman and a good rider in his own right, old Snow, wasn't he? Yeah, very, very quiet guy. Snow just kept to himself, uh, had a very big farm. My father-in-law, Eric Lennox, uh, my wife's from there, um, Susie, Mm. and uh, Eric was an owner and trained jumpers. And uh, I remember him saying one day that, uh, see that horse over there that uh, Snow is riding around the farm, mm. he'll win a big cup one day. And um, mm. and uh, it wasn't uh, a few many years later that uh, the whole of Waverley was in the local Clarendon Hotel and watched him do it. And uh, mm. Jimmy Cassidy, I think he rode the horse in the Wellington Cup and the Melbourne Cup. Yes, he uh, did. And he was um, mm. he was part of part of part of it as well. But uh, Waverley was a very big area of horses, uh, owner trainers, and uh, mm. a big hunting area. So it's been a lot of good horses that have come out of that uh, lower Taranaki Waverley area. Mm. Kiwi was one of the most popular New Zealand horses to ever race in Australia. He was here so often. And that Melbourne Cup win, John, goes down as producing possibly the most spectacular finishing run in the history of the race. You don't see two milers finish as fast as Kiwi did that day. No, I uh, I remember watching it. It was amazing. And uh, everyone, they still talk about it. Jimmy, I train here at uh, Ramwick and the next door bar across the road, Jimmy Cassidy's with the Lee boys, Greg yeah. and his brothers, and uh, he's starting to do a bit of the training. And uh, we see him every day, and he'll still bring it up, bring up Kiwi, comes up, and Kiwi's and all he talks about is Kiwi and Rough Habit, old Jimmy Cassidy. Mm. And uh, uh, that was that was as good as Rough Habit's finish in the Stradbroke, wasn't it? Wasn't it very similar? And Kiwi came down the outside, and Rough Habit went between them. Yeah, that's that's dead right. It was just yeah. a shame. Um, Snow always said that the horse was late, scratched at the barrier. Um, I think the year later or the year after that for another Melbourne Cup because he thought the horse was yeah. right in form again. So uh, mm. yeah, but it was it was good times. Well, Snowy Lupton and Kiwi were not the only things you were watching from that property at Waverley. Because on another adjoining property, you've already mentioned him, your father-in-law, Eric Lennox, whose attractive daughter Susie caught your eye one day, and it wasn't long before you two began a relationship which would lead to marriage and subsequent parenthood. Yeah, no, um, I met, uh, I was actually up working on a station and maybe then um, Johnny and... Uh, mm. I met Susie at the local rugby ball, and mm. uh, as you do, and uh, she had three sisters, and um, <laughs> we started going out together and things evolved, and uh, from that we've moved on, and now I have uh, a couple of lovely children, and Lucy and Jack, and um, mm. we now live in uh, at Coogee Bay in Sydney, and uh, the children, Jack's in Auckland, um, he's in finance there, and Lucy's got her own design company in Sydney. Mm-hmm. And doing well. So Jack's not into the horses at all? No, they both ride very well. Uh, they're good riders. They learned young too when uh, when I was um, 
when I was training. But uh, no, you don't push them into this game. I tell you, mm. it's the same. I think put, pushing your son or your daughter into being a jockey yeah. unless they're 100% committed. So no, they're not. Uh, they love going to the races and following my horses, but no, they're uh, not involved. You were humming along beautifully in New Zealand, winning plenty of races when an offer came from Malaysia, which caught you by surprise. Leading trainer T.C. Beng retired, leaving a big stabling complex vacant, and it was offered to you. How did it happen? Yeah, well, I had uh, I was training at Awapuni. I'd moved from Woodville to Awapuni, a big training centre, um, I think some Melbourne Cup horses, Silver Knight came from there with Eric Temperton and mm. a few other good horses. But uh, Kim Clapperton, she was a leading rider in Asia at the time, a New Zealand girl. Mm. And uh, she came back, she's from Palmerston for a holiday. And she said, so it's, look, there's a big opening up there with Taichung Bing retiring. He's got uh, the Royal Boxes at Penang. Mm. They're empty. Why don't you go out and have a meeting with them? And um this I did. I thought uh, I was going very well at the time as a leading young trainer in New Zealand, but mm. um, but financially it wasn't viable, I thought. And uh, mm. I had a young family. I thought it was a good time to move, Johnny. So mm. hence I pulled the pin and went up there for five years. And Susie and the kids went with you. And during that five years, you lived in an apartment in Penang. And that lifestyle was probably the thing that wore you all down in the end. Yeah, it did, and probably the money was fantastic, and as you say, the year I left was the year after I won the premiership, mm. so there wasn't a need to leave, but when you live in an apartment and you're from the farming background and your family is, uh, you know, your kids want to get out and the boy wanted to play rugby and the daughter wanted to play netball, they don't do those things up there, no. and uh, I just thought it was time to come bring them back to New Zealand and uh, bring their and go to secondary school back in New Zealand and hence we moved back uh, to Matter Matter. Yeah. You won some major races in Malaysia and Singapore? Yeah, we won most of them, just about all of them at the time. Uh, the Singapore Gold Cup, the um, the Penang Gold Cup, you name it, we won most of them in those in that era. I had a very mm. good team of about uh, 120 horses, mm. and uh, we used to go on a circuit. Uh, we used to race with Singapore, so uh, we had some very good trainers up there at the time. Malcolm Swates, um, Charles Leck was there, um, Paddy Buzzardin was there, Mick Kent was there, mm. Laurie Laxton, who sadly just passed away, mm. came up. Just when I left, he came up and uh, we used to race on the circuit. You'd do two weeks in Singapore, two weeks in Penang, two weeks in Ipo, and uh, two weeks in Kuala Lumpur and you'd go around mm. and like that. So it was very good and you learned a lot up there how to train a horse in the heat and, uh, and how much racing they can take. So I think it was good for my training career. The passing of Laurie Laxon only last week uh, brought great sadness to the racing fraternity in Australasia, and the tributes to Laurie have flowed freely ever since. Johnny deserves every one of them. He is a character, Laurie, as everyone knows. He lived life to the fullest, but by crikey, he was a great trainer. I uh, mm. I used to train a lot for Peter Vella. I had a champion two-year-old in New Zealand called Banshee for Sir Peter, mm. and Laurie was his private trainer. Um, uh, Sir Peter's Laurie was like a son to him, and... Um, 
it was devastating when we heard last week he passed away. Mm. But um, he lived life to the fullest, as I said, and uh, mm. no better trainer or horseman when you saw the results he achieved. Well, after a very successful five years in Malaysia, it was back to New Zealand, and you were determined to make an impression in the training ranks, and you certainly did that with a bang. A couple of years later, you had stables in Matamata and Christchurch with something like 140 horses in work, a bigger operation than you ever imagined. Yes, it, uh, I, started, I was lucky enough that the Matamata Club um, built new boxes on the course like they do in Australia. They hadn't done this in New Zealand. Everyone had their own little place and transported into the transported into the course. So mm. I took over boxes there, and uh, after getting a few winners, it all snowballed, and um, I ended up getting Andrew Carson's to uh, open up a South Island stable for me, and um, mm. it all escalated to sort of uh, in the winning the premiership uh, yeah. about five years later. So it was a fantastic time and, uh, no, I really enjoyed it. Uh, in the time, we brought a lot of good horses to Australia mm. and, um, no, it was great. At the height of your uh, form in New Zealand and at the time you won that premiership, I think you won 111 races in the season. Was that a record at the time? Yes, it was a it was a record. I think I broke uh, Murray Baker's record. It was at the time, mm. and uh, since then, the year after I left, he broke it again. And since then, Jamie Jamie um, Richards has broken that again. So it's getting bigger each year. And I think with the volume of the horses, that will always happen. Mm. You had a very nice mare in the mid two thousands by the name of Tickle, who was by an Australian stallion in Dana Singer. Now, you won seven races with Tickle in New Zealand before bringing her to Queensland where she won a Group 3 at Doomben. She ran fourth in the Prime Minister's Cup and then she went amiss in the Doomben Cup. What happened there? Yeah, she was a very good mare, uh, very big, strong. She was owned by actually Mark Lupton, who's a nephew of uh, Snowy Lupton. And mm. um, he, he was an owner-trainer. He didn't have the time off his farm to train it, so he gave it to me. Mm. And I used to always take a team to with Johnny Wheeler and um, a few other trainers to Brisbane in the winter. Mm. They thrive coming from the cold in New Zealand. We took her over there. She hit one first up and then uh, ran well second up. And then, yes, she did a sesamoid in the, uh, in the cup there. It was devastating. And uh, uh. she didn't, didn't race again after that. You won a New Zealand Oaks at Trentham with a filly called Miss Mossman, ridden by Jonathan Parks, and she won by a big margin. Yeah, that was a great year, that uh, Johnny. She, um, I was based here in Australia then, and Andrew Andrew um, Hayden uh, looked after her from my New Zealand stables. Mm. And uh, Jonathan Parks, if he ever comes over here, you'll see he's a very good rider. He's very tall, but he's uh, mm. very much in the Opie Bossom mould. He rode it, and... Uh, owned by friends of mine. It was a great year that uh, I was lucky enough to win the um, the uh, New Zealand Oaks, the VRC Oaks, the AJC Oaks mm. and the Queensland Oaks. So it was, uh, it was a great time for the uh, Phillies on stables. You've already mentioned Banshee, which was purchased as a tried horse by Peter Vella for you to train. You won a Group 2 and a Group 1 with her in, in very quick time. She was a an outstanding juvenile filly, wasn't she? Yes, yeah, she was from a great family. Sam Kilt originally bought her at the sales 
and then Peter Vella bought it off him, um, and she was the, the leading two-year-old of a year, as I say. Had a big finish. She won the Matter Matter Breeders too, coming from the back, and uh, one of those fillies that could sit off the, sit off the pace. At the same, the next year, I had a filly called Aquilo Veloce. Mm. was exactly the same. She won the Group 1 Manawatu size produce, and uh, mm. the fillies that could sit off the pace and really sprint strong at the finish. So they were good horses to have at the time. Quintessential added to your burgeoning reputation as a trainer of fillies and mares. Now, you won three races in New Zealand with Quintessential before bringing her to Queensland to win the Oaks in a breeze. And then she ran second in the Derby to a horse called Brambles. Yeah, I actually thought the Derby run was better than the Oaks run with her. She, mm. uh, It was a very wet day in the Oaks and she strode clear and won it easily. And then I said to uh, Greg Thompson, friend of mine uh, that owned it, look, I think this horse has done well. We'll back up in the Derby. And, of course, when the fields came out, we drew 18 of 19, I think. And mm. uh, I had a great friend of mine riding her who won the Oaks on and won a lot of races for me called Damien Brown mm. and who I rated probably as good a rider as I've ever seen. Um, a lot of you, you asked Peter Snowden and uh, a lot of the Sydney trainers that used him, how good he was. And um, mm. he said before the race, the Derby, he said, we'll go forward, Sarge. We can't do anything else. Mm. And he went out of the straight about five or six wide. He got her in, into the back straight, but that just doing that bit extra early, Cost her on the line when she just got knotted out by um, Peter Moody's colt. Yeah, Brambles. Oh, huge run by your filly. Uh, and you mentioned Damien Brown, who was forced out of the saddle uh, probably 18 months ago by illness. Uh, yeah, terrible. He was. Uh, he used to ride a lot of winners for me when I went down. I used to love going to Christchurch for the Cup Carnival. Mm. Um and uh, he used to, he's originally from Christchurch. He wrote a lot of winners for me there. That's when I first got to know him. Then he moved to uh, moved to uh, Queensland. He had many offers to him, I know, to come and ride in Sydney and Melbourne. But mm. he's a country boy at heart too. And uh, he lived up at uh, up Calandra Way. And mm. that's where he stayed all his life with his wife and kids. And, uh, yeah. yeah, it was terrible. He had to give it away, Johnny, because of his weight and wasting. It was uh it was rotting away in his stomach, you know, lining, yes. so he had to stop, stop it, you know. Yeah, and, uh, and anti-inflammatories, he was telling me, did a lot yes. of damage. Yeah, it did, and uh, I'm sure if he'd uh, carried on, he would have broken a lot of records. Mm, great rider, Damien Brown. Now, quintessential, you took her back a year later to Queensland, and she won another couple. She won a Group 2 and a Group 3, and then she ran second in the Brisbane Cup. Yeah, she uh, she won the uh, she won the uh, the Doombin Cup and the and the O'Shea Stakes. I remember the O'Shea Stakes. I think it was that we'd no sooner gone across the line and won it easily that the siren went and it was uh, the second horse against us. And I didn't know where the where the uh, the interference was. So I went into the room. There's a good friend of mine, Peter Moody, putting putting in the uh, inquiry and it was yeah. after the jump 2,000 metres before the finish that he <laughs> thought we'd tightened him up and I, I yeah. thought it was a bit of a joke I just sort of sat there but no they were serious but we got off it and uh, won the race and um, mm. now we've been friends ever since Yeah, Peter's optimism knows no bounds no, he'll ever go at anything. Nothing worries him. <laughs> and uh, hence he's back doing what he loves best. I knew he wouldn't be away from the game too long. Yeah. Kira Moser, 
was another very good staying filly you've trained. You gave her three runs in Sydney in the spring of 2013 before going to Melbourne, where she cracked a great double. She won the Wakeful Stakes with Tommy Berry and the Crown Oaks with Nashra Willer on board. What a good staying filly. Yeah, she um, she came to my stables and matter matter before I came over. I leased her off Bill Gleeson, a very good friend of mine that's got Wellfield stud, and he stood to sire. And um, I leased it off with a right of purchase with four friends, and we brought her over, and she showed straight away she was um, a very good filly. And so we aimed her for the Oaks. And uh, got her down there, and I had Tommy Berry was already booked for a ride in the Oaks, so I had him in the Wakefield, and she came from last and won that. And then, so I built booked Nash for the Oaks, and uh, I never forget it. I wasn't too sure she was quite a light filly whether I should back her up in the Oaks, but I spoke to a couple of prominent trainers and looked at the record of three-year-old fillies winning the Wakefield and then going on to win the Oaks. So. Yeah. We did very, very little with her. We stayed out in the country with her in mm. Melbourne and just let her off a horse for the week. And uh, she came out from a very positive ride of Nash's to uh, mm. to win the Oaks as well. Mm. John, I'll get you to stand by for a moment. We're going to clear a commitment on the podcast and we'll be back with you after this. It came as no surprise when English Managing Director Mark Webster announced that South Australian GTRA would fill the company's slot in the Everest at Randwick on October the 16th. GTRA ran in the English slot last year, coming from well back to finish a strong third to Classic Legend. The horse stayed in Sydney and two weeks later won the $1 million Yes, Yes, Yes stakes at Rosehill Gardens. Not long after, he presented with a knee problem which required surgery for the removal of a bone chip and then a long spell. On resuming, GTRA ran third in the Group 1 Goodwood Handicap and was then taken to Brisbane where he was unplaced in the Kingsford Smith Cup only 2.8 lengths from the winner after a wide run and a pretty hefty check in the straight. Fittingly, he was purchased by trainer Gordon Richards at the 2017 England premier sale for just $41,000. He's taken his large ownership syndicate on a fantastic journey with 10 wins and 12 placings for more than $3.2 million. Inglis and GTRA get together for the second time in the world's richest race on turf, the fifth running of the Tab Everest at Royal Randwick on October the 16th. My special guest is expatriate Kiwi trainer, now based at Randwick, where he's having great success, John Sargent. Now, John, let's acknowledge some of the nice horses you've had since settling in Sydney. Gust of Wind has received the most publicity because she was the last horse to beat Winks. She'd had one run and one barrier trial for Hayes, Hayes and Dabenig before coming to you and you quickly discovered she was pretty good. Now, what about that maiden win at Scone? Yeah, I think it still goes to one. Anyone that hears this podcast, look it up, because I think it's in one of the top ten finishes of any horse in Australia. Mm. She jumped out of the barriers and started bucking, sort of. It was owned up in Hong Kong. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Apollo Ng, and an owner of his owned the horse, and she proceeded to get Jay Ford rode it, and mm. she would have been 40 lengths from the, probably a dozen lengths from the second to last horse, 40 lengths from the leader. Mm. 
and I think he'd just written it off the commentator, and then she started to come home stronger and stronger, and I think he couldn't believe it when she got up on the line and won the race. It was a phenomenal effort, Johnny. Mm. Were you there or watching? No, I wasn't there. My foreman went up on the day, and I watched her in the office here, and uh, as soon as I jumped, I said, well, when she gets back here, we'll have to do some barrier practices. I just thought that was the end of the race, and then I couldn't believe it. Ten minutes later, the staff were in the office cheering, mm. and she got up and won. And I knew from that point that we had something special. Yeah, I bet you got off your chair. Did we get off the chair? You're dead right. I was straight on the phone to Apollo Ang in Hong Kong, and uh, yeah. I said, "I think we've got a good one here." Well, she certainly was. She won a class one at Canterbury after the Scone Maiden. Then she ran fourth in the Adrian Knox, and then at her fifth race start. She lined up in the Australian Oaks. Ty Anglin gave her a gun ride to win by two and a half lengths from Winks, who never looked like picking her up. Now, Joey Marrera rode Winks that day, John. He got some flack for his ride, but I'm blowed if I can see why. What are your recollections? Yeah, recollections of the whole week, actually, Johnny. We were running in the Adrian Knox the Saturday before, and I was going to back her up, just like you do in the spring with the Wakefield and the Oaks. Mm. But uh, it got rained off and cooled off Saturday, and the Adrian Knox was on the Monday. Mm. So it was a very close backup. But Zach Purden rode her in the Adrian Knox. I said, look, just drop her back, and if she's finishing home, you know, we'll look at the Oaks. And... um, he got off the horse and he said, Sarge, back her up in the oaks. That was an oaks run. She was mm. just warming up. So he couldn't ride her in the oaks. So I got Ty England. And it was a great ride by Ty. He stuck to the fence. Yeah. Um, it was a very wet track. And he just hugged the rail and he went from midfield. And he hit the lead just before the turn. I think Winks had its chance. Uh, Marrera mm. was he was um, there in time to get her and gun her down. But... She just thrived on the track, and I think she handled it better than Winks that day. And uh, mm. and it was a great, great uh, boost, I think, for Ty at the time because um, he was just hitting his notch as a top rider too. Mm. Now, Winks, the phenomenon of Winks hadn't really begun at that stage. In fact, it was the sixth time she'd been beaten at that stage of her career. But after that, she just jumped out of the ground, John, and was never beaten again. Yeah, she she was one thing that keeps you in racing that horse. Um, it's a great trivial question: who was the last well, trainer to train a horse to beat Winks? Mm. And uh, I bring it up whenever I can because <laughs> after that, I think she won about thirty five in a row. And yeah. I'd go here. I'd take my kids. I'd say, oh, they. would say they're going down the pub for a beer, my boy or daughter. I'd say, no, you're not. You're coming to see Winks race. Yeah. And uh, I remember to see her last few runs here at Ramwick. Yeah. You know, 50,000, 40,000 people there, everyone in blue. Mm. Boy, it was good for the sport, wasn't it? Oh, wasn't it ever. Now, John Winks went on to win 33 straight, as we know. Yeah. Now, Gust of Wind, sadly, never won again. But by golly, she ran some good races in the spring of the same year. She ran fourth in the Caulfield Cup, only beaten three and a half lengths, and ran a super sixth two and a half lengths from Prince of Penzance in the Melbourne Cup, and she didn't have much luck in that cup. Yes, if you look at the race, you'll see See, uh, we didn't have any luck. Uh, we drew, I think we drew the 
three from the outside that day. So I said to Chad Schofield, wrote it, you're probably going to have to go back, which he did. But when he was started to make his run, and it wasn't a hard run race, mm. coming into the straight or halfway up the straight, Frankie Dettori just turned right and took out half the field. Mm. I know he got a 30 grand fine, but that would only be dinner for him, wouldn't it? So <laughs> that, was, that was an appalling bit of horsemanship. And I think we were the only horse to pick ourselves up. We got stopped in our tracks, yeah. and she flew home for sick. So it was a phenomenal run. Um, she was she'd been bought before that campaign um, by Sir Owen Glenn, and yeah. um, and uh, she ran for him. And Sir Owen had Criterion in the Cup as well, which mm. finished third. So he had a a very good day at the races without winning the race. Exactly, because sixth prize money was not to be scoffed at either. No, you did right. So we went out for tea that night and uh, mm. celebrated. As you say, he ran the third and a sixth and uh, mm. without winning it, but he was a very happy man. Mm. The mystery of Frankie de Tory in Australia. He has <laughs> certainly not recaptured his European form. I don't know what it is. John, only a couple of weeks ago, he rode his 75th career winner at Royal Ascot alone. I think, Johnny, yeah, I agree with you there. And I, uh, apart from Tom Marquand, who's come and just taken all before him in Sydney, mm. but he rides very much like a Sydney jockey, mm. whereas Frankie and those guys over there, they're in five and seven horse fields, at just a strolling pace. Mm. They don't have that tight riding. Like, if you get on the fence three back at Melbourne at Flemington, mm. it's bloody hard to get out. Yeah. And, uh, as you see every day of the week, you know, I had a runner there yesterday. Once you're on the fence here, you need a lot of luck. And uh, mm. Frankie just hasn't had that on his side every time he's been out here. You thought the world of Lover Lover, who did a terrific job for her owners with six wins, five placings, $851,000 in prize money. She won a Wakeful, she ran fourth in the Oaks, she won a Kembla Classic, she won an Adrian Knox. You didn't over-race her, John. You really looked after that mare. And almost two years later, she reeled off a nice little double, the Group 3 Summer Cup and the listed January Cup, both at Randwick. Now, I believe she went amiss in a race at Rose Hill about a year ago. Yeah, I, I remember buying her in New Zealand, actually, at the Ready to Runs, and uh, I thought she was a typical New Zealand stayer, a big, tall, leggy type of... Uh, two-year-old and uh, didn't run up super in the, in the run-ups, but I just saw something in her that uh, she had a nice bit of stretch about, had a good walk, big ears, good eye, mm. and uh, I think I only paid about 35000 for her. Goodness and uh, after I bought her, Mark Pilkington came around and said, Sarge, do you want to sell any shares in her? Mm. And that's where um, Darren Thomas and Seymour Bloodstock, they actually said they'd take as much as they can. And mm. the owners I was buying for in Australia said, look, they can have half. So ah. since, since then, where they bought the mother and uh, we've got some progeny out of her and uh, Brandenburg was the next one. Mm. And uh, we've got a fast net rock fully and work out of the mare and uh, mm. love a love now due to fault to long road. Mm. And uh the owners have kept her, and hopefully she has a filly. I'll be training her in the future. Good on you. Now, Lover Lover is out of a mare by Galileo. That won't do her any harm. Jeez, I tell you what, whenever I go to the sales, the first thing I spend a week or two before looking at anything, just mark Galileo mares, Zabiel mares, 
and mm. Costa de Lago mares were dealt to me. Certain mm. mares don't, Stallions and Galileo mares are gold. And uh, mm. he's just passed away, sadly, isn't he, last week? But mm. uh, I'm sure with Frankel coming through, his destiny, his uh, legacy will carry on. Mm. And uh, Galileo mares, no, anywhere in the world, you buy anything out of Galileo mare, yeah. you're going to have a good, good chance of a good horse. They're priceless, aren't they? They are, and uh, they just keep breeding them, uh, bringing breeding winners, and uh, I think uh, you'll see all the studs trying to buy Galileo mares. Now, John, you had a bittersweet experience just over a year ago when you sent two horses to Wagga on Cup Day. Wet week, very heavy track. You won the Murrumbidgee Wagga Guineas with the horse called Foxborough, and House of Cartier was first past the post in the Wagga Cup. Three months later, it was announced that a post-race swab had shown the presence of a substance called hydroxyxylazine, which is basically a sedative, something you wouldn't be giving a horse on your way to the Wagga Cup. Yeah, that was devastating, that. I... uh... I'd won the race for my good friend from Wellful Stud, Bill Gleeson and um, Peter Gillespie, and uh, it was a great day. One of the guineas, we won very easily, and she won well as well. And uh, about a month later, the Stipes came to the stables and said, look, you've got a positive, and they went through everywhere. And mm-hmm. I said, what What of? And they told me, and I said, no, that can't be true. So yeah. we delved into it, um, actually, and we stayed for a couple of hours. We we got to the race. It's a long trip from Gramwick. Mm. So we stopped at a stables about half an hour away from Wagga Wagga and just put them out into boxes and um, mm. gave them a bit of hay and a bit of feed and some water. And then they had a couple of hours there, then down for the carrying on to the races. Mm. We found out. After that, I, so I, I said, I'm not going to get it. I'm, my name's clean. I've never been charged. So I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Mm. So we delved into it and we found that the box that, that um, the horse that had the positive had been used for gilding horses. Mm. And this drug is what you give a horse when you gild them. Oh, dear. Um, yeah. And so I said, well, this horse could have licked some off the walls or whatever. But they detected that it wasn't, an, that, that it was so strong the the amount in its blood system of this drug mm. that it couldn't have been that. So I don't know. But anyway, mm. I lost the race, got fined, and uh, yeah, it was it's still a mystery. And um, because you don't give a you don't don't try and win a race, do you? Give a horse a set of them. So <laughs> no. yeah. But anyway, it's we've moved on since then. But it was a shame because yeah. of friends of mine. It was good for a breeding. It was a Group Three race. Yeah. Um. And hence, um, we got it taken off us. Yeah. You copped a six thousand dollar fine, and the penalty, from all reports, was based on your forty years of training without a single irregularity. Yeah, I know. It's uh, you just get. Bang, you walk into those meetings and I had a lawyer represent me and we said all this and that, but look, rules are rules and um, and uh, walked in and walked out and we were done and uh, mm. it was a it was a sugar, it was a bad feeling of course and uh, especially, as you say, the worst thing was for the owners of breeders and it was black yeah. type and uh, more mm. so than myself having to pay the fine. Emeralds has done a nice little job for you with three wins including a Group 3, the Angst Stakes. And although unplaced, she ran respectable races, John, in the Golden Eagle and the Expressway Stakes. 
Now, you've got some news about emeralds, which I don't think has been reported. Yeah, no, it wouldn't be either. She leaves, I think, on Tuesday to go and be served by Frankel. Um, as you know, um, emeralds is colours, the same colours of her, as her half-sister, four moves ahead. Yeah. She's owned by Jonathan Munns, mm-hmm. and he races his fillies and mares till a four, and then um, they go to stud. So he has... Um, his breeding manager, um, Mr. Hawthorne from New Zealand, uh, rang me to say that they've got a Southern Hemisphere rights, uh, Frankel, who's arguably probably the best sire in the world now, uh, to get into him. So uh, she leaves on Tuesday and uh, to go up there. So I think that's fantastic news. Elizabeth was placed in three stakes races in the autumn. But she failed to stay the 2,000 metres of the Vinery Stud Stakes. Uh, she's getting ready for the spring and you'll be keeping her to shorter races this time. I think probably 12 to a mile to her go, maybe 1,400. And uh, mm. I'd just like to thank Mr Valandis for uh, putting on a $2 million fillies and mares race <laughs> I see in, a, in a couple of months' time yeah. at Ramway. So I won't have to walk too far. So that'll probably be her main <laughs> aim of the spring uh, Johnny, try and get the uh, two million and walk her over there because I think you'll see a, she's coming a lot stronger. Some horses really boom from two to three, some don't, and some boom from three to four. And mm. she looks really awesome. She trolls on Tuesday, and uh, I expect a very big spring from her. And finally, John, the two-year-old filly you produced in the autumn, who went into the Golden Slipper as a five-dollar chance following a good win in the sweet embrace. Barrier nine in the slipper wasn't good. Yes, yeah, she uh, she had a chance, but what had happened through the, during the lead-up, we'd been on half a race behind. She she caught a very bad cold, and uh, it took us till we got a swab back from her lungs uh, to find out that we were giving her the wrong drugs uh, to clear it up, and then we cleared it up. And then a week before the silver slipper, one of the races, another lead up for her. Mm. We came in and she got cast in a yard and knocked a knee. Uh. So she had scratched that week. So we were getting further and further behind. And uh, she went a great race in the slipper to finish fourth. And I think this time in, uh, you'll see you'll see her a great run for her through the three-year-old filly series. She'll go for the silver shadow. Mm. The Furious, the Sea Rose and the Flight and the Spring and she's in now. She trials on Tuesday and mm. I see. I think you'll see a super three-year-old filly. Good, mate. That's good to hear. Now, how does she look? Has she grown and furnished? Yeah, Tommy Berry's been in and ridden a, in a two-gallop so far. He'll be back on board in the spring. He had to spit from riding her because he was on a very good colt mm. that she raced against. Of, um, I've forgotten its name of the Hawkses. And he didn't make the slipper, he got injured. But Mm. that's hence Tommy didn't ride her last couple of races. But he's followed it up and he's been in following her and riding her. So he'll ride her in the spring. Her name, oh, his name rather might have been Remark. That's it. That's the one, yeah. He'll be obviously a force to reckon with. But he'll be in the Colts races or the big races. So we'll uh, we'll be, won't be against him uh, in the spring. Yeah. So Tommy Berry will be riding four moves ahead. Yes, yeah, so at this stage, um, mm. unless she goes bad, obviously he'll jump ship as jockeys do. But um, <laughs> <laughs> they're quick to moan when they get taken off, but they're quick to jump ship when they don't go any good. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, Tommy will be on board. He's in great form and it'll be a pleasure to have him. Now, I believe you don't sleep much. 
You get to the stables at a ridiculous hour every morning and you're a seven-day-a-week man. Yeah, no, I love, I love I, I, I'm more a hands-on trainer than going to the races trainer, Johnny. I um, Five hours sleep probably does me. I'm here at uh, just after three every morning and mm. Sundays, I think we don't start till six. So, uh, no, I just love getting out, getting out of the apartment at Coogee and getting down here and you're in amongst it and uh, mm. you feel at home. So, no, it's, it's a great place every day. I just enjoy it. And you don't go to the outside race meetings very often. You make no secret of the fact that you'd rather be in the stable talking to the horses, observing the horses, studying their characteristics and any changes that might occur. Uh, you'd rather be doing that than getting caught up in the social obligations at the track. Yeah, any day. You know, after being brought up on a farm and and uh, having a dozen dogs that work for you up and over the hills, getting sheep in and then riding horses at a young age, you get an affinity with animals and um, whether it's a cat or dog or, or anything like that, I, uh, I'd rather be with them than anything else. And, uh, no, I love it just to go around in the morning and see what they've eaten. And uh, mm. try, I trot them all up myself after they gallop. I don't get the vet to do it because yeah. I think I can, I can see just probably more than a vet being a hands-on trainer. Yeah. And um, obviously you have to use them when you've got a problem and that's when we get them in. But otherwise, mm. I do all that myself and uh, seems to work so it keeps the cost down too, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's important too. John, that feed bin speaks many languages, doesn't it? Oh, my word, it does. Uh, as soon as you see a very good eater, leaf feed, you know there's something wrong. We take their temperatures as well. and uh, mm. But the feed bin will tell you straight away, and especially when you travel with them, you know, you can see how they're doing, whether they need a gallop. If they've left feed, they don't need a gallop. You know, mm. the final gallop might be on a Monday or Tuesday for a Saturday, but yeah. you'll get big horses like that, uh, all things that won at Goulburn on Saturday. Yeah. He, had a gallop, he had a gallop on Thursday before he raced, two mm. days out because he's such a good doer. Mm. So we gave him a bit of a sprint up. So you've just got to work your animal to the feed and the feed to the animal and to their mm. work, and it works around there. Mm. Well, John, you're a sprightly 63-year-old. You've already put four decades behind you as a professional trainer. You'll do five decades on your ear. Yeah, I look, without a doubt. I, I thought I was, as you say, how long do you get going? But no, I love the game and there's no reason I won't. Um, when you come off the track and you run into every morning, I run to Les Bridge with his little dog down at the hut. Mm. And I asked Les the other day, I didn't believe it, he's 83. Yeah, amazing. And he and he walks from, he lives at Ramwick, mm. and by the mile chute, he walks down to Coogee Bay, mm. that's down a big hill and back up every day. It takes an hour and a half. Mm. He's amazing, Les, and boy, is he still a super, super trainer. Yeah, and the winner of the Everest last year, eh? And, mate, I'll tell you, I've seen that horse last week on the track. Mm. He could win the game this year with the same horse. <laughs> You're throwing a few tips around here today, mate. I know. He's got it back and he's got uh, <laughs> he's got the girl Beg there looking after it. Yeah. And Les is just ticking it over quietly. He's got Peter Robel riding it and it's work. Mm. He's got all the old hard heads there. So I'd, <laughs> I'd say look out, look out for him again. Good on you. He looks well, does he? Classic he legend. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's he just you can see each week he's just putting on more weight because he came back as a, it's a long trip, mm. a shade light because I know Mark Newman got Shadow Hero, 
mm. and that was light enough that he had to spill that, but Les didn't need to spill Classic Legend, so mm. he's actually putting on weight and doing very well. John, this is the first time we've actually chatted in an interview situation, and uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Congratulations on all you've achieved in three countries as a professional horse trainer, and I know there are many more wins in store. Appreciate your time on a Sunday morning. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Johnny. Thank you. John Sargent, a special guest on a podcast produced by Supernova Sounds.